Here at Shalom, uh, we embrace our faith with a spirit of curiosity, open inquiry, and even a bit of skepticism. So any series celebrating our common beliefs and practices should acknowledge this aspect of our life together. We like to ask questions. I started this week knowing that I wanted to say something like, God welcomes our questions and wants us to wrestle with our doubts. However, I struggled this week. I couldn't really find the perfect scripture to base my sermon on. And this is always one of the downsides of preaching on a topic. It isn't always easy to make the Bible fit with what you want to say. Now, there were certainly scriptures that supported my thesis. I considered preaching on one of the Psalms of Lament, but also felt like these questions are really intense. Why am I suffering? Why have you forsaken me, God? Why does God remain silent? I wanted to talk about questions more generally. Yes, big questions, but also simpler, more everyday questions. And so in the end, I decided to do the Anabaptist thing and talk about Jesus. But here I encountered a real challenge. Jesus was very, very coy when people asked him questions. He is asked 183 questions in the gospel. And do you know how many he answers? Anyone has a guess? None? Five? Three? Seven? Yeah, you're all, like, I've seen people say three, four, and eight. So there's a, how, you, how you take it to be an answer, I guess. But at least three, maybe eight. So he doesn't answer a lot of the questions he is asked. What are we to make of this? Well, on the face of it, it seems that Jesus does not like to be asked questions. And that doesn't fit so well with my thesis that God welcomes our questions. And this was certainly what I was taught as a kid. God did not welcome our questions. God and Jesus prefer people to respond in blind, childlike faith. Now, I don't think this is the conclusion that we should take from Jesus's reticence. Although Jesus is a bit testy at times with his interlocutors, he has good reason. A lot of the questions that Jesus is asked are simply not asked in good faith. People are trying to trap him. People are trying to find a loophole to help them not have to keep a commandment. People are trying to distract him um, by getting him involved in some arcane theological squabble or people are trying to make a case for their own sense of moral superiority over others. I don't think Jesus delegitimates asking questions. He simply refuses to answer ones asked with ill intent. So another possibility, Jesus simply preferred questions to answers, and for a number of good reasons. Jesus is an attentive listener. And asking good questions is deeply connected to listening well. Jesus shows genuine curiosity about the people he meets, and times even scolds the disciples for not really seeing people. Like when he says to his disciples, do you even see this woman? 
Another possibility, Jesus prefers questions because he's a really good teacher. And good teachers ask open-ended questions where the answer is not implied in how the question is asked. And when we did the communion last week, I had all my children at the table with me. And they did not think I was a good teacher who asked open-ended questions. <laughs> they said I was very much like the teachers, like, no, I'm looking for something else. Keep going. You know how that is. But Jesus asked open-ended questions. What are you looking for? What do you desire? He didn't want to simply... Maybe I'm saying something wrong. <laughs> he didn't seem to want to simply impart a body of knowledge but he wanted his listeners to have their own realizations and revelations. And also very interestingly, Jesus's questions often show real respect for other people's autonomy. You will notice that Jesus, even when he's about to heal someone asks, what would you like me to do for you? Finally, I think in Jesus's question, we see that he's a model learner. He modeled the struggle, the wondering, the curiosity that is the hallmark of a genuine search, spiritual or otherwise. Those things said, I think there's another possible reason why the Jesus recounted in the Bible preferred questions to answers. And it is simply this, the Bible is not a book filled with the right answers to all of our questions. Now, this doesn't mean that instead it is a book filled with the wrong answers to our questions or flawed answers to our questions or inadequate answers to our questions. Instead, perhaps it isn't an answer book at all. And if this is true, what is it? Well, I think maybe it is a question book. It seems to me to be a book filled to the brim with questions that God is asking us. This is true, I think, in both the Old and New Testament. Perhaps when we read scripture, we are the ones being questioned, interrogated, called on to give an account of ourselves. In other words, any honest reading of scripture should leave us feeling a bit unsettled. Consider some of the questions from Matthew that Tim read. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Why do you look at the speck of dust in your neighbor's eye and pay no attention to the beam in your own eye? What good is it for a person to gain the whole world at the price of their soul? Why are you so afraid? These are all pretty searing questions. <clears throat> questions that if answered honestly might change our lives. And I think all of these questions continue to be relevant today. Case in point, this Friday I went to see a re-showing of a documentary about James Baldwin at the State Theater in Ann Arbor. Baldwin, like Jesus, very frequently responded to questions with questions. And for some of the same reasons that Jesus did, people were trying to trap him. People were trying to find a loophole to get out of a clear moral obligation. People were trying to shore up their own sense of moral superiority. People were trying to distract him by a theoretical matter. But even more interestingly, I noticed so many of Jesus's questions are echoed or restated in Baldwin's work. Consider for instance, 
if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? This is a question that Baldwin seemed to really honestly struggle with. Resisting the temptation to hate, writing hatred never failed to destroy the man who hated, and this is immutable law. Even while being genuinely flabbergasted that white folks had come to so deeply and presumptively depend upon the unmerited forbearance, grace, and nonviolence of black people in America. He pointedly asked white Americans how they had constructed their racist ideas about black people, echoing what Jesus had to say about sawdust and planks. How had it come to be that white people had projected all their violence and hatred and evil intentions upon black people? A projection that rendered them completely incapable of seeing themselves honestly. The proverbial, proverbial log in the eye, the violence, mendacity, and cruelty that lay at the heart of the American experiment. Leading him to ask with Jesus, you need to figure out what you are so afraid of. But more than anything, Baldwin wondered how there could be hope for a country that alongside of all of these terrible and psychopathic projections of evil onto black people were so undeniably shallow. As he wrote, we Americans are cruelly trapped in what we would like to be and what an image of what we'd like to be and not what we actually are. We cannot possibly begin to become what we would like to be until we ask ourselves exactly why the lives we live on this continent are so empty, tame, and lonely. How did we come to live such meaningless lives seeking never-ending material possessions? How did we become people willing to commit genocide or ignore genocide in order to maintain a certain standard of living? Gaining the whole world at the high cost of our souls. I began this sermon by admitting that I initially intended to preach a sermon with the thesis, God welcomes our questions and wants us to struggle with our faith and our doubts. And I think this is true. But after I wrestled with scripture, I am also left with the conviction that some of the most important faith questions are not the ones that we ask, but the ones that are, we are called upon to answer. We ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with his own question, who are you treating like a neighbor? And I see in the life of someone like Jesus or Baldwin, a prophetic insistence that the most searching, honest, open form of inquiry is not skepticism. Instead, the most searching, honest, open form of inquiry is rigorous self-examination. In matters of faith, it shows up in a willingness to confront searing and open-ended questions about ourselves. Attempting to become people who can give an honest account of ourselves and our lives. Because as Baldwin said so poignantly, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. The sharing time is a time for us to respond to the sermon and share things from, from our lives and announcements as well. 
I'm happy to pass the mic around. It's also very convenient for the Zoom if you come up here. But And then if you're on Zoom, of course, if you want to just unmute and share as well, uh, we welcome that. So. Hello, um, my name is Maddie Nisley. Um, me and my roommate have been coming here for a few weeks, or on and off. There are a lot of summer travels that are happening. So we really like coming. We'll be here as much as we can over the summer. And yeah, I grew up in a Mennonite church and was just kind of looking for another Mennonite congregation to get into. Um, we're from Jackson, so it's a little bit of a drive for us, but it feels like home already. So thank you guys so much for welcoming us. And then also I was planning on introducing myself this morning, but this past week, um, I got the chance to reconnect with an old friend. I met her 11 years ago at a summer camp and we used to write, we lived three hours away and we didn't have phones yet. So we would write letters to each other. And she had just had a daughter a few months ago and I got to meet her daughter for the first time and she thought it would be fun if we looked through our old letters. And it was very embarrassing because I wrote them when I was like 14 years old and it was cringy, but there were just so many, I went to a Mennonite high school as well and we took like an Old Testament and New Testament class every year. And just all of my letters to her were me just, why did God do that? Why is this in the Bible? Like just so many questions over and over. And I had totally forgotten how much I questioned everything. Like it, it, it was literally everything. Like one letter was about Genesis. The next was about Exodus because I was getting there in my class. The next was about all of the laws. The next was about all of the judges. And it was just, it was so detailed. And I feel so bad for her that she had to read that as a 14 year old <laughs> when she wasn't taking those classes and had no idea what was going on. But yeah, and, and all of this, like, oh, I stayed after class and asked my Old Testament teacher this, like, and all of my classmates were groaning when I was raising my hand today. And But I'm just so glad that I was raised in a tradition that welcomed those questions. And I was never, by teachers, by my pastors, I was always encouraged to ask those questions. And yeah, I'm just really glad. And so because of the sermon today, I just felt like I should share that too. But thank you. Hi, I'm Paul Seelbach, and I remember letters. <laughs> letters were good <laughs> when you get them in the mail. It's been a while. Um, I just want to say I'm glad to be here. I've, um, I, don't, I don't think I've really shared, but I, I uh, exp have experienced what it, what it is to have a protruding disc 
protruding against your sciatic nerve for the last six weeks. And um, six, few, a few weeks ago, I wouldn't have been able to walk up here. And I'll save you the gory details, but I'm just glad to be here and I'm glad to be on a road to recovery and share that. So. So and we have a daughter, Anne, who's 36 and grew up in this church. Um, she, her kids play soccer, so she's a soccer parent, you know, soccer parent out there. And last day of soccer, they say, why don't we have a parent-kid soccer game? Great idea. So Anne tore her Achilles tendon fully. And um, she's had surgery, so it's, 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 it's a terrible injury. Um, she's had, and she has two kids and a busy life and two jobs, and I don't know. So long recovery ahead and slow, and it's gonna be difficult. So, and we are trying to be a, people who do things with kids. Hi, I'm Zach Landis-Lewis. Um, I wanted to start with a prayer request for a student in, uh, in my department. Um, her name's Brianna. And um, she was uh, unfortunately shot. Uh, she survived a shooting um, on the highway a few weeks ago in, on 94 in Detroit. Um, and it was just kind of a, a very um, shocking and uh, confusing experience for our department for her she's recovering um fortunately she has family supporting her so just uh i appreciate your prayers for brianna um i wanted to thank you joe for your sermon and um uh kind of um had a lot of thoughts and i just want to try to not blather but um Think about how questions um, are so valuable in, in in setting up a lens to see the world, and when you know answering a question um, can be a way of sharing a lens with by, by or actually not answering a question but instead telling a story is a way of not sort of accepting the assumptions of the asker and also giving giving people a lens to to understand something that they wouldn't otherwise accept. So um, I saw that in, in uh, the examples you raised. Thanks for sharing that. I also um, just value the, uh, the way that skepticism helps us to understand God better by, you know, bringing, by questioning assumptions and um, sort of, uh, I, I really appreciate your emphasis on self-examination and self-awareness and facing uh, facing uh, what you're afraid of. I kind of interpret that from what you're saying as a way of gaining knowledge. And um, so thanks. Maybe uh, two comments about the sermon that I enjoyed, and maybe somebody can help me with this quote that I heard, and 
It must have been from when I worked at a Unitarian church, but the quote was, if I could have the truth or the search for the truth, I'd take the search for the truth. And I, I don't know, to a lot of people that's counterintuitive, but I like that. And if anybody knows who said that, I wouldn't mind to know. And it reminds me something too, I think that Zach said that I've thought about with myself, but also my students is uh, like, sometimes I'll ask them, just think about over the course of the day of the kind of things that you say, what percentage are questions, what percentage are commands, what percentage are observations. And it's very interesting to think often how few questions we really ask. And then I would add uh, just a personal note for a, a colleague who, um, who is going through a lot, the upcoming anniversary of the, the death of her 30-year-old son. And in one of those, you know, strange modern things of having a spouse uh, who became transgender and how do you deal with Father's Day on a day like that, having gone through that. Um, so uh, I think uh, it's okay to, to say her name, Carol, uh, her thoughts and prayer for her and her family. Let's pray. God, we thank you for those who nurtured us, for all of the people who helped us become who we are today, fathers and guardians, teachers, writers like James Baldwin, people that have acted like Jesus in our lives or asked questions like Jesus. And for those who read all of our questions when we write them long letters, we ask you, we thank you for asking us questions and for not giving up on us. We thank you for freedom that was insisted upon and won, for times that we have corrected big mistakes and took a different path, either as a nation or as people. God, we ask that we could really learn to see the people that you put before us right before us and further away. We just take a second this morning to pray for the school children killed in Uganda, those killed in airstrikes in the Sudan, those continuing to suffer in the Ukraine from war and natural disaster and the possibility of the outbreak of disease. God, we ask for your grace to see and acknowledge those in our midst and in our circles that are suffering. We remember those who mourn, John and Shirley and their family, and Joe's friend, Carol, who continues to mourn her son. We pray for those who are sick. We remember Dan with his brother, Rick, in California. We pray also for those who are injured, for Paul with his excruciating back pain and for his daughter, Anne, suffering from Achilles injury and its long recovery. 
In a larger sense, God, we remember those whose pain we don't see, but is with us, those who are struggling with their mental health, who still need to sift through old griefs and traumas. We remember those who are trying to care for aging parents well, or children that are struggling with the complexities of the world. God, we ask that you enable us to do this work of caring and nurturing. That those of us who are adults can become adults, the kind of role models and trusted companions in the lives of others that we so have depended on throughout our lives. Amen.